you like conversation on a variety of topics? Feel like no one wants to talk about the things that interest you? Tired of only hearing the same political, sports, or catastrophe talk? Yeah, we feel that way too. Join two high-functioning geeks as they discuss just about anything under the sun. We can't tell you what we'll be talking about each week because we don't know where our brains will take us. It will be an interesting conversation, though, so hang on and join us. Here comes the Relentless Geekery. Because, you know, we didn't listen to our parents' wisdom and knowledge when we were young, and I see my kids and I'm telling them stuff, and they're not listening, and I'm just like, oh my God, I, you know. <laughs> but yeah, what are you gonna actually, do? when I was young, I don't remember my parents, like they used to say, like go out and get you know get some sun you know they didn't they didn't they weren't this was back right. in the 60s when i was growing up you know my first 10 years were 59 to 69 so i don't think there was much talk at all then of melanoma and and, and i don't know now that i'm aware and how it's like wow that's a sun tanning salon you know before you go on your caribbean vacation they tell you to go in there and get a base tan like right. i did before my honeymoon and now you find out well that you know that's even more intense uv rays and uv a and b and i don't know i just i like the fact that science marches on and discovers and shares and you, know, you get more aware but exactly what you just said some people just have what they learned when they were 10 is how they are the rest of their life you kind of can't disabuse them of right the, the world gets smarter it gets more knowledgeable yeah. it gets well, there's a <laughs> lot know, of so. <clears throat> things i mean my father we have a well so we drink yeah. water from the ground it goes through filters and all that but his answer to getting rid of groundhogs that were eating his garden was to pour used motor oil into the groundhog hole and after I thought oh, about man. that when I was older, I'm like, wait a second. Do you realize? That's <laughs> that, our that's ground like, water. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, no. But then he's like, well, I'm fine. Today, maybe not tomorrow. You know, there's just no concept of that later in life thing sometimes. Exactly. And unfortunately, I, I'm, like, for instance, Lakewood has, I think we get city water that is from the city of Cleveland, but we do our own filtration of it so that when you read, you, go, you can go online to onelakewood.com and maybe it'll work and see the water standards that they maintain. But that's very uncommon, I think. There's all kinds of communities like throughout the South where they've been dumping terrible things for a long time. There's super fun sites next door to where people live and they're not volunteering <laughs> that this is death water and stuff like that or that, you know, like that, you know, and, and especially when someone makes a big mistake where they actually had a choice to make as to, you know, those pipes are 100 years old, right? You know that they're probably lead or asbestos in your walls or whatever else it might be. And they just kind of say, we'll try it and see what happens. It's like, wow, they've done studies that that's really a bad idea, especially some things you can leave alone and they'll be okay. It's when you disturb them that now you have a hazmat site. You know, we had to we're doing any number of things to our house. And when you do anything with like duct work in your house, if you have a century home, you have to get it checked. Because like I said, if it just stays in place, it's fine. But otherwise, there could be asbestos in the flooring, asbestos in the duct work. And I don't want to be, hey, I survived melanoma and atrial fibrillation and then mesothelioma got me. You know what I mean? I breathed <laughs> in fibers, you know. So well, <laughs> when Jason was a little bit younger, um, he is a little bit allergic to bees, not to the point where he like stops breathing, but he gets swollen yeah. bad. And uh, okay. the, the one time we're talking to him, he's like, no, 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 I, I don't want to go outside. We're like, why? I don't want mesothelioma. 
what are you talking about? It's like, I don't want to be afraid of bees. And we were all laughing so hard because it was just, you know, all over the place. Right. I'll tell you, this thought just occurred to me. You know, one of the cool things when you're growing up for kids, people talk about why do kids have a fashion with dinosaurs? And it's not only that they're monsters and big, there's something cool to a kid about learning a jawbreaker word. You know, when you first learned anti-establishmentarianism and, and all the dinosaur names are like that, but you know what I think has happened nowadays? People, kids aren't learning dinosaurs. They're learning diseases. They're learning all that like that, you know, exactly. Commercials have this thing that it's, you know, seven, seven syllables long and, and yet. And, and then when it breaks into the news that you have to, you know, like, hydrochloroquinone, I'm not sure if I even got that one right, but then it's like, well, that's different than hydrochlorobenzene. And, and like, they, that's, that even the, uh, uh, telecasters are having to, like, check their notes to make sure that they didn't miss a syllable, that they didn't mispronounce it. Remember when the, uh, uh, volcano went off in Iceland? And it's another one. It's like a 10 syllable guy. And I, at one point I said, I have to memorize this just so I can let it roll out of my mouth and people will go, Oh, aren't you Icelandic? And yet sometimes in four, because languages, that's what people say very commonly. <laughs> I know. I just, but like, and this is kind of you know, a humbling thing is I really have a problem with like remembering long um, Indian names. You know what I mean? When like I, I've had people that have worked with that were really good friends, Prasad Kataragata and stuff like that. But once they start to get into that, it's again, seven syllables or that the vowels, and the consonants kind of don't go in the right places. I know right. this is just the most stupid Western thing to say, but right. whenever you, but, like whenever people say Chipotle instead of Chipotle, because they've not accommodated the fact that there are other languages and that they right. do have different we, accents and different letter order and stuff. We call I it can Chipotle. see myself having it. So Chipotle then, see, exactly that. And, and if anything, you know, it's kind of funny to have people when they have words like, well, I can see how that makes sense. Cause that's like a word that you do know, but and, and and people who read a lot, or the first time that they say a word that they've only read, and they kind of like look around to see, did I get that right? You know, everybody's got. I I know. I said. I think we might have talked about this before. I said communique at one point, and someone said, "Oh, you know, that's pronounced communique." It's like, what about unique? And and you know, right? <laughs> yeah. yeah, you fooled well, me. God well, there it. there have been times. <laughs> poor, poor Jason will be trying to tell us something, and he's just saying it and on and on. And we're like, wait, wait, wait. You mean this? He goes, yeah, that. I'm like, oh my god, he was just saying it wrong, and I can't think of an example, but he does right, it like right. all the time. So, yeah. hey, hey, think, uh, oh, go ahead. No, no, I think there's even like a literary term for that. You know, a word that <laughs> a you've only read and not ever pronounced. <laughs> you know what I mean? So it's kind of yeah. like that's meta revert. You know, one step removed, but it happens so often that someone had to say, oh, that's a para poop duke You know, or right. whatever it is. <laughs> like well, the first time you learn uvula. <laughs> Like, right, right. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Actually, I think, you know, so there are certain words that it isn't only that you first hear, heard it or read it, it's that you heard it like on a famous thing. So how do I know I think it's uvula instead of uvula? Because I heard it on Saturday Night Live where it's like, oh, I must have foolishly glossed right over my uvula. And then forever, ever, that's in your head that way. Isn't that funny? Yeah. And it's, it's <laughs> interesting because I've been reading about, uh, l let me tell you. Uh, my mind has been blown in the last week with working with JD uh, and altering my writing and prose. So I've been reading some things more uh, classroom stuff, almost talking about how we get words and what words are proper. And, Oh, let me tell you, we know a couple of people that are grammar Nazis. And I'm reading this one book that says most of the time 
when people are saying, oh, that's not proper grammar, they're really saying it's not proper uh, of the way that like the Chicago Manual of Style says you should use it. doesn't okay, mean it's but not the vernacular proper. allows it. Exactly. Yes. That's not the way people talk. That's the exactly. way. Okay, yes. And they say mm-hmm. uh, what grammar can change and grammar can be different for different people and different cultures in different parts of a country. So even though, you know, we get, you hear somebody say, I ax you that. And we're like, nice. oh my God, I, you know, but the thing is, if it starts picking up and more people do it in a hundred, 200, 300 years, that will be common and people will correct you if you don't use it that way. So everything we've got a rule set over hundreds of years that have just been agreed on, but there, there's no, rules there's no body that says you have to do this other than the manual of style which isn't grammar it's just the way we prefer to use that grammar right if you're going to be proper exactly and honestly i love you know every year there's an article from like the new york times or someplace like that the oed that says here's the new words this year that have been adopted because they didn't have a use for it before and here's also the ones whose meaning is transforming so you know that literally now is officially in the dictionary as both literally and figuratively really? because people think of it as literature not as it is real it is true and and they don't distinguish between literally and figuratively so now it's become and what the, what's the word for that where it has um multiple meanings including its opposite like flammable or inflammable is right. both not flammable or flammable. you know what i mean so like yeah. it's it's i love language enough that i love seeing those uh transformations if you will based on common usage based on different cultures um i think i mentioned this before a total shout out there's a very cool series of books called maledicta uh an author that did research into vulgarity and so mm. he doesn't just you know talk about here's shit piss fuck clunk cocks other motherfucker and tits like george carlin he does the scholarly work of saying this is like the first printed version of this. This is probably from the old Norse, and then it got corrupted into this. This is, you know what I mean? Like, here's a famous person that it, we like to think that, you know, famous pre- people are all like proper in the way we just talked about proper English. But no, you know, Benjamin Franklin was a Blue Street guy and any number of other famous people. If you were in the military, you acquired a certain amount yeah. of profanity and vulgarity like that. And that he's really good about differentiating between profanity and vulgarity and like what where they come from that this is you know uh, religious swearing is different than fecal swearing is different than uh sexual swearing and that like there's and there's really cool um curses that are particular to certain languages so like when the english say bloody it's really serious it's really like us saying fucking if you will but it doesn't translate we say it like to sound like monty python to sound like quaint and you know and like same thing uh Montreal, where they say, you know, tabernacle, you know, tabernacle, it's really a serious square there. Germans have it where if you compare someone to an animal, it's really serious. Whereas like when you hear Schweinhund, it's kind of like, oh, that's like Hogan's Heroes. That's a silly thing. No, it's, it, to say someone is crazy or to say someone is like an animal, it's it's really a big right. insult in different languages. So I love reading about that. And I'm, I'm bear with me. I'm trying to think of, I, I, I want to give you the author's name because I so much respect him at one point. I read somewhere that he had all kind. He had accumulated. There's probably thirty different editions of this, and he was selling them to to get money to take care of paying off his house or something like that. So whatever volumes I was missing, I that you couldn't even find on Amazon, I ordered from him. And we had a very nice exchange of emails back and forth about kind of my saying, 
man, you've done something that nobody else has done. It's very cool scholarly work. I learned a lot. You know what I mean? When you find out that there are 20, 100, you know, whatever, thousands of different ways to tell someone to go to hell. <laughs> it's, it's, I, I love swearing is one of those cool transgressive things that you can learn a lot about the person and what they choose to use and the culture and where it comes from. And that's just as much as it's also because it's taboo that right. there isn't a manual of style, that it really is very much of the people. And so for all those reasons, I, and I don't know, I, I know I'm going on, but I have often had big discussions online where someone says, you know, you're, that's swearing is lazy. You should come up with you know, a better way to say that. It's like, you know what? I actually thought exactly what I wanted to say. And I wanted to have that shock value or transgressive value. And like, you know, you're telling me that, you know, I got to work on my vocabulary without being a jerk. I probably have 10 times the vocabulary <laughs> of most people I know, not two or three, but literally 10. And so when I make a word choice, it's pretty good. It's what yeah. I want to say. It's not that I'm just the motherfucker, the motherfucker, because right. I can't think of yes. something else to say. I, I, you I know? was going to say that it, <laughs> it, in the right place, it has the right effect, just like any word. But if you're just using it as the description for every single thing you say in every sentence you say, it's like, yeah, nah, come on. And, and like you were saying with the, the swear words, they're, they're very, um, the things that are quaint, like we joked about taking old Victorian swearing and putting it on t-shirts because it won't offend people nowadays. You know, it changes. Exactly. Or, Isn't that or, true? Yes. Or all the ones we've learned uh, from Yiddish. You know, we all know a few Yiddish ones that nobody gets that upset about, except maybe some Jewish people. Exactly. And that's true. I'm pretty sure that that's how like Hollywood writers. So Boy, I love how our discussions spin around. We've seen a couple movies lately. One on on Mank, that is, you know, uh, Mankovich, who was one of the um, authors, um, screenwriters that, like Citizen Kane, tapped him to do. Sorry, Orson Welles tapped him to do Citizen Kane. For the time, he was fantastic. We just watched the documentary on Dalton Trumbo. Not a documentary, more of a recreation. But that, you know, when you have. Uh, all the Borscht Belt comics, all of the, there is a, a big Jewish influence in modern comedy, modern screenwriting yeah. and so forth. And just that, if they wanted to throw a word in there that they could kind of like sneakily ha ha get away with, they threw in schwanz. They threw in, you know, the, the kinds of things you're saying. And to us, again, it's just kind of quaint, but a Jewish mom would go, oh, wash your mouth out with soap. Exactly. That's not right. Billy <laughs> Crystal loves to do that. <laughs> exactly. You know, so, um, the oh it's it's um amend arend uh the gentleman's name like gunther amend is the name of the guy who did maledicta i just i just love that you know i and i might not have it exactly right but i think i've talked about this before it's just so cool to have little guys in my head that are going through the files and while we're talking about something else they like sir it's a blue letter here here's the information you were looking for (laughs) (laughs) exactly i i've always had that and and it's I know I've talked about this a little. It's kind of funny. I don't always remember. Now, hey, we're in like our 51st episode. We're almost a year, which is the coolest thing Crazy. in the world. I've started to lose track of exactly what we talked about. So I'm sorry if I occasionally <laughs> repeat myself. And I do hope that my stories are the same. So you don't think I'm like, well, there he's lying again. I'm making it up as he goes along. It's, um, I've always liked that, that there's like, um, they have a you know, phrase, the, the conversation, the ghost on the staircase, where it's like you're in a party and then you think of a line you could have said that would have been really good, but now it's too late. It would, it would be out of context. And, and 
people often have that experience. Well, instead of my being that I think of it hours later in the car on the ride home, mine kind of like has a real short recirculation time, like 20 seconds or something like yeah. that. So sometimes while we're standing, enjoying a cocktail and talking, I'll, I'll blurt out something, but I can say, no, remember when we were talking about the guy that was the first ballooner, and now I remembered it was the Moncolfier brothers or something. And I always think it's kind of impressive that that kind of stuff is in there, and it might not have the exact thread that you could pull on right away, but that my mind has an ability to kind of, in the in the background, in the subconscious, go, okay, you know you know this, and all you got to do is think of where'd you first read it, and think, like, sometimes right. I have not quite an eidetic memory, but I can even remember, okay, it was kind of like two-thirds of the page down, so I am using not only the meaning of the word, but the visual of where I right. first read it, and so... It's kind of cool. When did I first hear it? You know, like we just talked about when you first hear um, uvula, that it's like, where did that get stored that I don't have a visual to go to? But I do have some way of going back in time to the Saturday Night Live episode right. and go, I heard because you've got say those that. Uh, connections, <laughs> you know? that trigger. Yes. You know, and exactly. I, I think it's more, uh, I, I think sometimes intelligence is more that not necessarily that your processor is running faster. It's that it's multi-threaded <laughs> and can run Honestly, multiple processes at once. The power of parallel versus sequential. That can be exactly right. You know what I mean? So when I, when they've done changes to computer coding over the course of time, or actually how a chip is built, the early Macintosh had, had a big change when they went from, um, and bear with me, you know, here's nothing I got to think of like, you know, chip versus drip. I'm sorry, I'm trying to think of the acronym that it was, whether you're doing, um, you can make up for not doing parallel processing by doing sequential processing so incredibly fast that it you don't lose anything by saying, if I can make this run a hundred times as fast, I don't really need the parallelism as much. And parallelism has its own overhead and right. complexity to it. And that's what it is. It's risk versus CISC. Isn't that cool how that works? It's reduced instruction set computing versus complex instruction set computing. And that you don't need to worry about memory management or popping things on and off the stack and kind of how computers do things internally that you just say, if you ask me something, I'll tell you so quickly that you there won't have to have been any taking something and putting in the background while I work on this. And so it's kind of, I just read an article recently about how there's probably really a big mistake we've made when we talk about artificial intelligence, that there's often that correspondence between let's make that AI work like your brain does because it's a big computer. Well, neither of those things is true. Your brain is not like a computer and you can't make a computer with enough interconnections that it'd be anything like a brain. So we're kind of creating a whole new form when we get neural networking and deep learning type things where we're teaching it how to do the associations that we think are kind of like synaptic, right. neuronic, I want a wrong crazy word, neurotic, haha, um, connections, but that we're actually like, we're training an idiot savant to do this thing very, very quickly, <laughs> image recognition or whatever else it might be. And that sometimes the goal is to get to G, to get to general intelligence where the Jeopardy computer, right? You know, that they, that, uh, 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 sorry, Deep Blue Watson, Watson, yeah, well, like it's really good at taking in a corpus of information and being able to get to the, what's the most probable thing that's associated with all that. But does it really understand that a pea pod is a pod for peas? Or does it, I know I'm being silly with my, I try with my example, but there's something about 
Does it do the visualization that we do to see what a pea pod is and know that that's because there are peas in there that could become pea vines, pea plants, <laughs> and, right. and all that kind of stuff? Or is it just that it's really good at, I fed it a billion facts, and it does a real quick kind of like a sieve as to what word is most associated with the things that you're asking about. And I think it's Peapod. I think it's Mankiewicz. I think, you know what I mean? Right, it's that right. it, it really is, doesn't have self-awareness, doesn't have will to get to, I know, I know this. Right. And so I, I love these meta discussions because it really is illuminating. <laughs> well, you know what and, I mean? <laughs> well, with the computers, again, we have to define all of it right now, even though that Watson can learn. And I thought about this a while back when I go to like a used bookstore and it's a very big used bookstore with thousands of books on the shelves. I'm not yeah. thinking in my head, I want this author, this author, this title, this title. I'm thinking the type of thing I want within certain parameters and what looks good, you know, and we can't define those for a computer. I can't say computer, go find me the books I would like. It, it just doesn't work. Absolutely. In fact, I, I, I love that. I have had very similar thoughts, and I've actually had this discussion that if you're a collector, you already have an idea of what do you have and what do you need. Everybody has a want list. But when I go to a bookstore or a record store or various other places that I have amassed my collections from, maybe early on when I went to a comic book convention, I had a want list, and I would pull it out because you have to be very specific. I need Iron Man 58. Don't know how I missed it, but I am missing it. So you look in the boxes, and you kind of go forward until you get to the slot that should be right. 58 and find it. After you have a lot of stuff, I I have now gotten to the point where I kind of unfocus. When I went to uh, a big bookstore, like you're saying, I don't think I go in at all targetedly looking for anything. Maybe there's still two or three things that have somehow managed to elude me. The Celebrated Cases of Ricochet, a huge book by Stan Lined about an old comic strip, and one day I'll find it. It's one of my grails. But having said that, I'll go to like, I know I like science fiction. Let's go to the science fiction section. And then you'll kind of just look around A to Z, and you're, you'll let your mind just say, all right, you're now into the bees and who do you like? And is there a title that stands out? Is there a series? And you're like, Oh, I didn't know that th there was a new one out in that series or yeah, I've been missing. I have one to five, but not two. And look, finally I get two, but I don't think I'm consciously like pulling out a list and looking for it. There's that opportunistic right. little course going to find search algorithm. That's just kind of saying, hope I find some treasure. Let's go take a look and let right. things ping off of me, you know? So, and like, I don't know, everybody's got that thing of, I'm looking for something new. Huh, shiny. This cover looks cool. It's of the kind of cover that I like where it's sword and sorcery, so it looks like Conan fighting. It's science fiction, so it looks like spaceships. And whatever else it might be, you read the cover blurb, and I think we've laughed about this before. If they can grab me in, like, three lines that it's intriguing, I'm like, I'll spend seven bucks on that. Sure. You know what I mean? A young right. man bound for adventure needs a faithful, faithful reptile companion. Sure. Dragons we go. You know what I mean? It's like <laughs> Right. Right. So you know, speaking of the, the mass multitudes of things interested in, you mentioned uh you've discovered kind of a great 
box of things. Um, <laughs> well, it's kind of, I hope you don't mind. We, I, we have regular, you know, uh, updates on the vaults. You know, I have a lot of comic books yeah. and I've been going through cataloging them so that I can actually get to where I will get them impressed and graded and ready to sell. And, and it's nice. I really think that my retirement plan, you know, this little part of it is going to work out. I have some things that are kind of cool and valuable. Well, I, uh, probably mid nineties, I was uh, making good money as a consultant and I had that idea of I really should, how I store my comic books is usually like, you know, standing um, spine up, down and um, all tight, compressed so that they're not going to get, uh, they're not going to get hurt. They're not going to get wavy because they're stacked on top of each other. Um, I took a whole bunch of my um what I thought at that time were my most valuable ones, like old Marvels from the 60s and stuff like that. And I had them all um, boarded and bagged and graded by a guy who worked at a comic book store who I liked and trusted and, you know, both just trust in terms of nothing will disappear, but also trusted his judgment that he would be a good grader. And so what kind of, um, as opposed to a lot of things that I still have in what the comic book people call raw condition, it's just out. You know what I mean? It might be nice and tightly stored and everything like that, but I haven't boarded it. Well, for hundreds of them, I did that. And those boxes are in my collection along with all the other boxes. And so it's interesting because that's the first time that I actually took things out of perfect A to Z order. You know what I mean? And and that this set of things is are in their own boxes. So I guess if I was like, that's a concentration of my fortune. You know what I mean? Well, I just found one of those boxes and it's got <laughs> wonderful old Avengers and wonderful old strange tales and tales to astonish and tales of suspense. And it's kind of funny. Most people don't think of those titles if they know anything about comic books, but strange tales is where Dr. Strange started where right. the human torch was for once his own series, where Nick Fury, agent of shield shield came into being um, where warlock, Adam Warlock got his early series that now is going to become him. And he's going to figure into guardians of the galaxy three. So, it's kind of cool to say, yeah, I had this little series of Black Widow at one point, and nobody really, really cared about Black Widow until Scarlett Johansson in The Avengers made her right. iconic. And so, and Tales of Suspense was Captain America and Iron Man, and Tales to Astonish was Ant-Man, Giant-Man, Hulk, Submariner. So they went on to have their own cool series and become like iconic characters right. within the Marvel Universe. And these are really hard to find in good condition because right. back then it was kids reading comic books and then kind of, you know, trading them back and forth and using them, I don't know, for a placemat when they ate their cereal or whatever else it might be. So the fact that I have a whole bunch of stuff <laughs> in good condition, and if anything, it, it, I, it's kind of funny. I often talk about it as if it's mercenary, but it's just so nice to see my old friends. You know what I mean? Like I can remember, oh my God, that's the first melter. That's, you know, if you're going to have an Iron Man, what would be the villains that would figure against Iron Man? And so there's going to be maybe another guy in a suit of armor, like Titanium Man or Crimson Dynamo. There will be somebody with a melting device that will be able to, you know, wreck his iron. And so I, I just like... That wonderful, again, kind of a brain thing, that transport back to, I remember meeting, reading that. Right. I remember finding that on the newsstand. And I have also, there's multiple copies of some of these. And my loved, read, heavily copy is just torn up. You know, it's in good condition at best. But at one point that I filled in my collection, when you can still buy comic books for reasonable money at comic book conventions. And so I have just like lots of cool stuff. And I think I mentioned before, at one point I did it then, not only to 
preserve it for the future because I really was expanding my consulting practice and I needed money. I was going to be doing, I was going to be working on Gambit, my artificial intelligence right. trading systems. Well, I sold old Fantastic Four and old Spider-Man for very good money at the time. But as you might imagine, with the advent of 25 years and the advent of movies, uh, boy, did I give away uh, some good stuff. Right. <laughs> Not give away. Sold to a good friend. They went to a good home. And yet, when you've held on to other things and you're like, wow, I have Avengers number six. And that's the first yeah. prince of the Masters of Evil in Zemo. And, and then you look, you put it into the system and you see what it's worth. It's like, that's sweet. And that's like, oh, but I, I had 200 issues at least of things that are probably ten cents, thousand dollars each that were 12 cents at the time. So yeah. it's, it's just very weird to say could have been even better. And yet, what, what can I say? I'm happy that I have what I have. You know what yeah. I mean? <laughs> and it's, it's speculation. I mean, you know, Marvel went bankrupt in the 90s, so they could have completely died and nobody would have cared now. That's there are so many comic like when when I go through oh boy going through the system, I'm finding out that like 20% of my comic books have value. I have many, but out of my 40,000, I'm going to have like 8,000. What am I going to do with the other 32,000? We talked about this a little last right. time. Go to eBay, sell them to friends. There's a lot of people that really care about certain things that were an artist's or writer's early work with. Right. Um, not and not even the biggies like Image or Dark Horse, but they did things for um, Comico. They did things for places that have gone defunct. And Whitman. there were some like great, you know, Matt, uh, bear with me. <sighs> who did Grendel? Matt, uh, it'll come to me. There's, um, it's cool to see their early work in various different places and that they then went on to big things. Or in some cases, it's very frustrating to say, wow, Kevin Van Hook did fantastic stories, fantastic artwork. And then I got a feeling that his independent comic didn't sell enough issues. And he kind of said, guess I'll go back to advertising. Guess I'll be, uh, you know, uh, I don't know. I'll write books. I've never seen Kevin Van Hook's byline on anything else. So maybe he went back to being a roofer. Maybe he went back to, you know what I mean? That he's just the standard guy in the world. And there's any number of stand-up comics or uh, singer-songwriters that are like that, that they kind of gave it a go. It didn't work out. And they have a perfect first album, but then they're yeah. out in the world as a different person, if you will. Right. So I have all kinds of stuff that's the early uh, uh, work of people that it was as good as anything else that Marvel, DC, you know, Dark Horse Image was putting out. But when you sell 2,000 copies of, of an independent, not everything gets to be Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles, <laughs> right. where it just rides the lightning, that it captures this incredible, silly interest, and that you get to where, like, hey, I think I'll make the heavy metal movie because I have so much money that I, I can do pretty much anything that I want. You know, I can marry Julie Strain. You know what I mean? It's like, right. <laughs> now, so Now, have you gone back lately and read too many of the like old 60s or 70s comics or you just remember them and you have them see that's what it is i'm i am aware of the stereotype of you know anybody who's trying to clean out their attic that's also a reader you'll never get done right. because you go up there and you're like wow this is great and then you kind of fall back into it you immerse yourself i have so much tried to not do that i've brought certain things home that I wanted to recreate that experience of reading The Dark Knight by Frank Miller or Watchmen by Moore and Gibbons. Um, what are my, you know, my absolute favorites? Sin City by Frank Miller. There's some things that have held up very well and they're periodic and episodic enough that it isn't like, okay, I'm going to do this 
and then I'm not going to do something else. I can fit them in handling them gingerly <laughs> while I'm uh, going to bed at night or something like that. You know, my last half hour of reading or something like that. Right. Some things I don't even know why I thought, let's, how about Johnny Nemo? Like a really <laughs> silly side right. I think he was like a British import, as a matter of fact. He might have been in Warrior Magazine or one of the British imports, but they were P Peter Milligan's early work, if I remember correctly, who went on to do lots of other good comics for DC. Um, and they have this this right sense of humor, this right, like, uh, dissolute atmosphere. You know what I mean? That they're, they're mysteries, but he's really a bastard of a character and stuff. And so some of those were just like maybe a little bit of recapturing I remember laughing my ass off in college reading these. I think I'll recapture that. And they really are still funny and well done and stuff like that. So, yeah. but not in the storage lockers, not in the vaults, because I don't want to break my rhythm of, right. you, you know, I'm typing into the computer. I'm clicking on this. I, I just, exactly. I really have resisted that. <laughs> well, I've been actually going back and rereading old Spider-Man. I mean, like the early amazing cool. and stuff. And, Honestly, yeah. at, at some point, I, I get like, okay, these stories are like all the same. They're drudgery almost reading. I remember <laughs> it fondly, but nowadays it's like I could be reading much better things or newer Spider-Men that have better storylines. So really, I've flipped through some of them, looked at some of the art and uh, get an idea, you know, because like you got the Smasher, yeah. you've got Gibbon, you've got Kangaroo, you got all these like old villains that appeared once or twice and it's like the same story it's the template uh so they're remembered fondly but uh, th they don't interest me for reading as much nowadays exactly one of the compliments that people often give to things is that they were ahead of their time and so yeah. sometimes when i read things it's like wow they really did kind of predict the future one of the biggest compliments i can give is they're ahead of their time even for now like when yeah. you watch the Prisoner series with Patrick McGowan, they are absolutely still pertinent to here's what governments do with people that are too dangerous to be let out in public, but they were good agents. They were good citizens. So you don't want to just kill them. You have to kind of give them a retirement. But what are they going to do as an agent? Seek to escape. They need to exfil. You know what I mean? Like, and so there's, and, and just how they treat it, the, the mind warping and the nothing is as it seems. You can't trust anybody. That's very much the paranoia that we see nowadays where there's so much disinformation and there's so much that you, you can't, who, who you choose to trust has incredible ramifications on your life. And if you choose badly, boy, can it like screw you up. So, um, Spider-Man, not so much, but there's a, a great run of fantastic four from like, let's say 30 to 50, where in two years, Jacker and Stanley introduced the Frightful Four, um, the Inhumans, uh, uh, Galactus, Silver Surfer, um, uh, Black, Black Panther. They like just every single issue was more, uh, it's a family saga, it's a science fiction saga. It was the negative zone with Blastar, and I, don't, I think Annihilus might have come later. It's just the coolest thing to say, every single issue, they were laying the groundwork for, for fantastic everything. things to come. Exactly. Yeah. And those ideas were good enough that, like you said, nowadays they do have wonderful, more intricate plots. And, and as I've mentioned, one of the things I love reading is where someone, you can tell they've read all of what I have and they have a new take on it. So I just, I've been reading the Secret War series by Jonathan Hickman, not the 
relatively silly stuff with the Beyonder from 30 years ago now or something like that. But this is so smartly done about the collapse of the Marvel multiverse and who gets saved. And, and it's, and it's Dr. Doom creates battle world, this last refuge where everything is like, these are the people that were saved. And unfortunately, because it's Dr. Doom, well, he's God. He's the megalomaniac that wants everything to run. And it really does run pretty well. He's got things segregated so that um, uh, cultures that would clash each have their own little segment of things, but, and he lets them fight a little bit because it's in their nature to have conflict. And and it's actually like, wow, I kind of can't fault Doom for if he was going to take the world, kind of like stand on Zanzibar. You take the whole world, and if you just stack people together, the whole world of billions of people would fit on Zanzibar. (laughs) So he found a way to do that. How brilliant. And yet, there's people that want freedom. There's people that want to um, not be told how it always has been, but how did this come to be? And so all those seekers and all those dissidents and all those heroes, they find a way to wreck it up. But all the time, he's saying... This is what we have. If, if we, if we wreck this, it might be that we cease to exist. The human species, this whole universe, this, this part of the last shred of, of our it's, universe. It's very sci-fi. It's, it is. It's, and it's, it's very, Hickman really has a great feel for all different kinds of characters and how they would have continual conflicts or how they'd become allies. So Dr. Strange, and I, I, it's kind of funny. I think the series is five years old now. So I've only just recently read it via Hoopla. He's the sheriff. He's the guy that works with Dr. Doom to like keep this multiverse in order because he made the deal with the devil of we have to survive somehow. It's worth having some shred of humanity, some shred some of that whole multiverse left. And yet you thought he was a good guy. You thought he would have fought Doom to the end. And so it's very cool to have that new perspective on characters. And at the end, they find a way to like re-blossom that universe so that it, we exist again, if you will. But if people have memories of the compromises they had to make, the, the dastardly deeds that they were willing to do, they now have to live with that. You know what I mean? That there's alliances that are torn apart. And, and very smartly, the Illuminatus was a very cool concept that came together where they got like the biggest brains and powerful people in the Marvel universe. And they were secretly trying to keep us stable in, in the background. Well, when people find out about that, they actually like, we don't want anybody ruling over us, even benevolently. Well, they then actually mind wiped a couple people. If I remember correctly, Captain America. Yeah. And, and so it's like, wow, they really made moral compromises in order to keep order, to keep well, survival going and stuff. And it talks to all those cool issues. Wow. And, and I mean, there, you could have a lot of, discussions on secret wars especially with what tony did to and, and, uh, and civil war exactly that was very war, much that's, of that's right you know right. I, I, do you want uh, qualifications for being a superhero or you want it to be vigilante justice and there's yeah. really good guys and really bad guys kind of on both of those side side of that issue it was it was gut-wrenchingly good when you yeah. were first reading it and going they're really going to have a falling out they really are going to be like allies for 60 years and they're not going to get past this that was so, a good series. Wow. The, it the, really was. <laughs> the Secret Wars with Battle World leads to, uh, speaking of Spider-Man, one of my favorite Spider-Man comics, the Renew Your Vows, and the and where Peter is hiding out, essentially, uh, okay. and Venom goes after him. That, that first Renew Your Vows is one of my all-time favorites, just because uh, Spider-Man loses it when they when Venom goes after his daughter, and then 
but he's still holding back on because he doesn't want to hurt other people. Uh, you just, I mean, if you haven't read it, I, read it. It's well worth it. I, I haven't. And it's kind of funny. Hardly ever do I have to say that. But as I think I mentioned, I stopped buying comic books more than 10 years ago. So there's all kinds of, in order to <laughs> be a good citizen, pay off my house, <laughs> kind of stuff. And yet... I know that there have been great stories like that. I need to, now I need to go look for that specifically because I love that I'm, one. Yeah. That's, uh, in fact, I've just recently reread the series where Mephisto makes him and Mary Jane break up. Oh, and it's one oh more my God. <laughs> yeah. It's yeah. horribly gut wrenchingly like yes. it's, they have to do it. They have to save Aunt May. It ha- but, but still, you know, it, it, anyway. <laughs> yeah, so that that's probably another one of those. If, if you don't like comics, you haven't read this. But again, like we said with the Marvel trailer, it really doesn't have the same impact if all you've ever read is that. You know, that's you exactly really have right. to you have to have the buildup of what they went through to yeah. get to be together and the sacrifices and the the joys that they've experienced. And then, like, you know, and it's kind of funny, from what I understand, that wasn't so much that an author came up with that and said, let's do this. It was kind of the editor-in-chief and the money guy saying, Spider-Man doesn't sell as well when he's married. We need to have him be more freewheeling, more witty, more not weighed down by the concerns of family. And so, who was it? Like, Quesada, maybe? I'm trying to think who the editor-in-chief was at the time, right? And so, it's like, that's a horrible way to think of it, is that the real world really intruded. I mean, the fact that it was uh, Straczynski, right? Michael Straczynski, J. Michael, who I really like his work on Rising Stars and other things, and Battlestar Battlestar Galactica. uh, He just done so much good stuff. So he took on this thing of, if I'm going to have to, if we're going to have to do it, I'll still make it a good story. You know what I mean? The the bullpen must have been divided about really this if there's anybody in the marvel universe that should be happy it should be peter parker and you're gonna screw him over never and yet and yet that's the (laughs) that's what i read last night you know i was going back to the old ones i read amazing number 121 which i've read before and the death of quince oh and talking about old ones this one still holds up, I think. It's still a good, well-written story. And they did it so well, they didn't, you know, it opens with, you know, well, we're not going to reveal the title yet. And, you know, and then you read right. it and you're like, and it's weird looking at it now, because if you only know Spider-Man from like the, even the 80s, 90s, 2000s, the movies, it's it's always Mary Jane, you know. But before that, the first 120 issues, it was Gwen Stacy and, right. and her dad died and, but knew who Peter was. And that was like, Peter's like, Oh my God, you know, maybe I can have a life and he's got Gwen and then Goblin goes crazy. And, exactly. and it's not even that Goblin kills her. And it's not even that she dies because they're, it's just physics. And he did everything he could to save her and he still didn't have enough. That's what he ki- kicks himself for the next three decades exactly that you know that that's well so that, that's a great way to put it you know what i mean they found a way to kill him that still kill her that left him with horrible guilt yeah. <laughs> you know what i mean he was trying to save her he thought he had saved her and then uh, terminal velocity yep. not in terms of hitting but in snapping anyway and, and that if i remember snap. right that they, little they, snap i was yeah. just gonna say that you know that the writer was like i'm gonna need this to be really subtle, subtle. and sad yeah. Oh my God. It really was a shock at the time that it came out. You know, that's one of those things yeah. that you kind of like want to say to your non comic book reading stories. Okay. 
you don't know anything about this. You don't have the first 120 issues, and yet this is how good comic books can be. Yeah. This is and, really – In <laughs> some ways makes one more day even more devastating because it's the second time he's had that happen. That he's had – exactly. You know, and somehow he keeps wisecracking. You know what I mean? The fact, and, and one of the things in Secret Wars was him now being kind of mentor for Miles Morales, you know, who they've introduced as the next Spider-Man. Yeah. And now there's a whole Spider-Verse, as you know, and that's another thing. I've seen collections of those that I have – haven't gone into because I kind of want to read it all from the start right. <laughs> correctly together, but no one library has all of that. So I'm going to have right. to see, can I find it all on Hoopla? Can I get it through Comixology? I know I have a couple subscriptions and, and it's kind of funny, you know, we have uh, everything. Uh, Comixology has a lot of different stuff, but I've also read things like this looks good. And it's like, well, you know, I was glad that was free. <laughs> like I read Lock and Key and I'm uh, an author that I usually like and Joe pretty Hill. good artwork and stuff like that, Joe Hill. And, and it wasn't like horrifying enough for me, I guess it was just okay. And I yeah. can see that he's laid the groundwork. So maybe I'm not giving, I'm giving it short shrift. He's laid the groundwork for this various concept of a house, kind of a house of mystery, house of secrets where doors open to various different places. And maybe it will get more horrific or I'll care about the characters more and stuff like that. But this first, I don't know, six issues, I guess. It was like, okay, that was good. As compared to reading Secret Wars, which was, this is so well done. Yeah. I mean, one of the cool things that Hickman does is he has like the intro pages, the little charts of how the universe hangs together. Who's in this story? Yes. Uh, and, yeah. and like, you can tell that that's almost like his working thing. He's got that on his computer somewhere. And he says, if I'm going to make this work, I have to account for everything. If there's a big plot hole that says, well, you know, if... It wasn't, and, and, you know, like the molecule man that was involved in all of this. Are there other forces? You've had a number of cosmic things in Marvel over the course of the years where, where why didn't Eternity, Infinity, Galactus, the, you know, the Celestials, why didn't any of those show up? And I'm sorry right. if I'm mixing up between Marvel and DC, but you know what I mean? It's, it's, there's cosmic forces. <laughs> well, <know>, it's, <laughs> isn't the General Eternals. Zod in, in Battleworld in the uh, neutral zone, right? Now, going back for a second, you mentioned Lock and Key. And obviously, yeah. I'm a huge Stephen King fan and I love Joe Hill. I think he's done. Joe some His son, right? Stuff. Exactly. I mean, yeah. That, that's, yeah. Okay. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, very much some of, I, I think he's a little more hit or miss than his father, but he also does more things like comic books and stuff. So, exactly. So, I watched the Netflix series of Lock and Key and okay. we enjoyed it. I thought it was well done. It was fun. Uh, you know, I wouldn't say, oh, dear God, I've got to own this in gold. You know, I Got did it. enjoy yeah. it. I wanted to make a point of reading before I watched it because I knew it was out there as watchable. And I, you know what I mean? I, I wanted yeah. to do that. I wanted to and read I'm first. So, okay. Curious because I read the comics afterwards, opposite order. Interesting. And okay. I said, wow, this seems more weird. And I was like, this isn't quite as interesting. So it's it'll be interesting if you watch the show and then we compare. Was Did I not enjoy the comics because I liked the TV show? Or was the comics just ho-hum? And you said it was just kind of ho-hum by itself. So right. I think my my thing is, and I've, I've talked to so many people about these things, I think the shows on Netflix, the streaming services, are starting to really get it right as far as how to tell a really good sh series show story. Uh, I agree. 
you know, and it's not only about cliffhanger endings. It's about giving each character in an ensemble cast their own arc. It's about that there really are surprises, but they're, they make sense from what you've known until now instead of being right. just like, where did that come from? You know, you can't have Deus Ex Machina continually resolve a plot. You have right. to have it be that, oh, that he, he laid the clues. I just didn't process it. You know what I mean? I didn't get to that point. So you're right. They're getting very skilled at that. And, um, and, and being able to, adjust the story it's the same basic idea in both but there's yeah. a lot of differences in and the comic is i think darker in a lot of ways than the tv show so okay. is that what made the tv show better or did they focus on the characters they needed for the story you know there's a yeah. lot of you could probably big do scope a, yeah, yeah. Just, yeah. If anything, I I do like. I mean, we've kind of laughed about this. It's very nice. One of the reasons that I don't always read, you know, I'm not always aware that this was based on a comic book series until I'm like looking at the credits and going, oh, I. So I just watched Jupiter's Legacy, and it's yes. a Netflix series. It's really good. It has great generational aspects of superheroing. You know what I mean? If you're not only comic books have not been around since you know, let's say 1933. So we're talking about 90 years, and of course you'd have, what if superheroes had kids? What if there was a handing off of the costume to another person and they didn't have exactly the same motivation or morality or whatever else it might be? What if that magic item that imbued somebody gets found by somebody else that isn't right. as good or bad a person? So all of that, is, that's a lot of what figures into Jupiter's legacy, and um I really like Mark Millar. He wrote Wanted. He wrote a couple other series that I've really liked, but he also doesn't seem to be doing a lot of current comic book work. At least I didn't think so. I thought he had kind of gone Hollywood and was working on series and big scripts and stuff like that. So now I want to go back and reread Jupiter's Legacy, just like I watched Umbrella. I, I read maybe like the first two issues of Umbrella Academy and then stopped. And then now it's like th two or three series worth of Umbrella Academy. Right. And so I kind of compare and contrast and I really like where by the third issue, they're, they're off book. I love where instead of being, okay, I know what's going to happen. I'll just watch it played out skillfully. No, it's kind of like, well, wait, that guy doesn't die. Like, like we've talked right. about the walking dead. He, he died early or he died late. Why is he still around? You know, right. it, it's, it's kind of cool to say, and especially when the show writer, uh, the, the screenwriter is the original author. When he says, you know, I kind of thought about it. Now that we're six, eight years in, I would have done this differently. I would have yeah, taken it in a I different direction. Yeah, and I love that they actually have a chance to. Um, at, way long ago, David Gerald was one of the first people that I knew in the world of science fiction that actually revisited a book and rewrote it, kind of. He didn't like the way he had done it. It wasn't skillful enough. The ending wasn't what he wanted. A big thing, the ending wasn't what he wanted. And so when you, when you see, I kind of thought that was... Why don't you write another book? Why don't you leave that one alone, frozen in amber? But then now that I'm seeing that they're regularly doing that, it's actually very cool that people have that sense of their own work as being something else to read and digest. And then maybe in 10, 20, 30 years say, well, that was young me and now I'm older and I'd like to do it differently. Or it was, maybe I will. Uh, there's been, what do they call them? reimaginings that they yeah. do leave the original one alone, but then they kind of retell the story. And it's kind of cool to say, well, what does age do to you? Does it make you more noble, more bitter, more playful, more, you know, just the, this plot is bigger because you have a bigger view of the world now. What do you think about love? If you had a good or bad time in love, it'll come out <laughs> in, right. in how you're talking between the characters. So I, I love that, I guess, that there's a, a body of work that isn't only frozen in stone. You know what I mean? It's much more transitive nowadays. 
Yeah, uh, yeah. And I'm glad you said that about Jupiter's Legacy because I was looking at the trailer. I was looking at it, I'm like, that looks pretty good. I, I mean, it's not okay. a, an unknown story. That type of thing has been told with kids and the next generation that forever. Right. But it looked really good. And I've seen mixed comments about it all over. People writing articles that like, yeah, it was ho-hum, but I'm glad you said uh, you know, that you liked I really, it. One of the things he does very well is uh, this is seemingly a common thing now is it isn't a, just a linear story. He actually right. starts off with what's going on now, and then he goes back and gives you some background, right. some history, and then jumps maybe. Not, I don't know that they jump forward, but you know what I mean? They show things almost um, Rashomon from different characters' perspectives, and that, well, that's not really what happened then. This right. really is an unreliable narrator, or at least there's more to the story than you thought. And so I thought that that was actually sometimes it's uh, – I don't even know, pedantic to explain something that you weren't skilled enough to have stand by itself. But sometimes it really is shocking to say that really wasn't what was that's, going on. You know what I mean? That's the Netflix formula. <laughs> that's what they've been doing with all of it. And I noticed okay. it on the Haunting of Hill Manor first, that huh. if you watch that one, it's masterfully done with showing you just a little bit and you're like, well, what's that? And they don't answer it. And then they do a thing later where it's like, oh my God, that's what that is. So it's almost like a mystery, which by the way, I just watched Knives Out. Have you watched that? Oh, I love it. Exactly. Oh that, that, that was, was such yeah. a great movie. Yeah, that was really well done. This is very funny. That was, uh, Colleen and I went out on a New Year's Eve and we were like, so we're going to get like our favorite thing. We're going to go to the casino buffet. And then we were going to see a band, like a prog rock band. And somehow they, they couldn't do it that night. So we said, well, let's go to a movie. There's theaters. And we, I knew nothing about it except it looked to be the kind of thing, ensemble cast, a yeah. lot of people that I like that are skilled. And then when we, as we were watching it, we were like, I'm so glad that we yeah. stumbled onto this. That this very wasn't, well done. Exactly. When I first saw Die Hard, it was because the movie I really wanted to see was sold out. And it's like, well, let's go try it out. Bruce Willis is kind of like, you know, I know him from Moonlighting and he's <laughs> kind of funny, but then he was so great as an yeah. action hero in a way that I never expected to like respect him, if you will. Right, right. And, and one of those things we're walking out of the movie in the lobby going, are you here to see Die Hard? You're going to love it. You know what I mean? If, if you're going to see another movie, trust me, just go to Die Hard. Instead. <laughs> we were like instant converts. We were like, right. <laughs> <laughs> yep, yep. And, so I think that's the formula Netflix has hit upon because just about all okay. their series do that now and they're, they're figuring it out very well. And I think that's a difference between some of the comics and some of the series. Cause like umbrella Academy, uh, I like the show. It's a fun show. And I think mostly it was because of the characters. All those characters were really strongly unique in the comic book. Uh, not that they didn't do it well or good or anything. I don't think the characters were as strong in the comic, in the trade um, that That's I a read. That's way to put it, that it was the plot that was going on instead of the character. Exactly. That's, okay. Yes, yes. Yeah, so it's two different mediums, and I think they get really well what they do well in that medium. Not that they couldn't have brought the characters out more, but I think Netflix was able to define those characters really well for the show. Uh, yeah. And it, it actually helped me enjoy the comic more. I think if I would have picked up the comic, I might have gotten bored and put it down and maybe picked it back up, that type of thing. But because of the show, in this case, I was like, oh, I like this. It's like giving me more. Yeah. 
one thing I did do with Jupiter's Legacy was I kind of binged it. I usually give myself like one a day because I like to say, well, what's going on? Right. I let my mind kind of process and that kind of stuff. But it was, there were just enough things going on like, oh, I got to know more. And, and, and so thing. I think it's probably like nine episodes and I think it didn't take nine days. It probably took like three or four. So you know and what I mean? I, I, that's one of the factors <laughs> that Netflix looks at. They look at who starts it and do they finish the first episode and go right to the second, or do they go to the second after a day or do they not exactly. go to the second until six months from now? Or do they watch three or four episodes then stop? And you know, our, Three million people stopping after episode three. Is that the, yeah. the you know they look at that? And they, oh, they look for that so they can tune their their future things because you know, just that they don't put out Nielsen ratings like television stations used to and stuff like right. that. But they have to care about. Well, we sunk ten million dollars into this thing. Did it get the watchability that's going to have people saying, "Sure, I'm going to renew my Netflix subscription." Right. You know what I mean? So it's a I. I really do like the fact, now that there are so many things coming out, that Netflix is still seemingly, let's find good creators and give them what they want. You know what I mean? From get, all give them over the resources world. they need. Exactly. So it, uh, I'm always looking forward to whatever next. Garth Ennis, uh, Warren Ellis, uh, Mark Millar. There are certain authors that I really come to trust. And so, like it's kind of funny also. Colleen and I have been working our way through various different movie series uh, by all the Hitchcocks, all the Woody Allens, all the Coen brothers, etc. And we're kind of getting to, okay, we've watched a lot of the directors that we really like, and some of the things like David Mamet, some of them aren't even available. So we kind of hit a holding pattern. And instead of seeking out, I don't know, I don't think they're lesser directors, but they just haven't piqued our interest necessarily. We've been saying, well, there's other ways to do this. We've already watched all the AFI Top 100. How about just what actors do we really like and seek out their movies? So, for instance, I think Willem Dafoe, when he's on screen, I can't take my eyes off of him. He's so good at inhabiting various different characters in a in a dangerous way, in a funny way, in a, you know what I mean? And he's played all different kinds of stuff. And so we just recently watched uh, a biopic of him playing um, Vincent Van Gogh, which is actually like Vincent Van Gogh. You know what I mean? The way they said it in the movie was very French and the way that I should learn how to say. Uh, and actually, though he's uh, 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 Holland, you know, he's, he's a Netherlander. He lived in France for most of his life. So that's why they say it that way. And it, it just, I'm, I'm now inspired to be like, there's all kinds of Willem Dafoe that I don't know that I've actively sought him out. And like the lighthouse, I think him and Robert Pattinson. I want to see that. Yeah. Pattinson. Yeah. So, yeah. And so I just, it's another, I love when you get a reasonable idea. Like when we first tried the British baking show, it was like, I don't know, we're both kind of brain dead. Let's just watch something silly. And then it proved to be much more addictive than right. we ever expected it to be. Well, I like getting that little thing of, Let's go to the state capitals. Let's watch Willem Dafoe. Let's, you know what I mean? Uh, they get an idea that then it's like, well, now this has legs. There's got to be 50 yeah. Willem Dafoe movies. And it's not only him playing the Green Goblin in Spider-Man 2. It's so all the way back. <laughs> our first movie I remember him from was, I think, called Streets of Fire. It was oh, like an, an 80s action pick where Michael Paré is the hero that comes home to rescue Diane Lane, his sister, from the clutches of a bad street gang. Willem <laughs> Dafoe plays the leader of that game called Raven, and he's so evil. You know, he's the guy that, that when he does this little thing, he puts his head down and he gives you the evil eyes. He right. really looks satanic, you know? And <laughs> At one point, like a whole bunch of stuff is blowing up in the street. He comes walking out of the flames going something like, well, finally, I met someone who likes to play as rough as I do. And the climax of the movie is a sledgehammer fight. Wow. Not like punching. Sledgehammers. So I think it's Walter Hill. He did a whole bunch. He did the Warriors, a whole bunch of other over-the-top 
kind of like almost comic booky type movies. But right. that was my first impression of Willem Dafoe, and I really thought I want to see this guy and everything he ever makes from the first <laughs> movie on. I right. just like, like I said, you can't take your eyes off of him. There's certain actors that are like that. They're just so crafty, yeah. you know. Well, there's what I mean? a, yeah, there's some <laughs> like we just watched. Uh, no remorse, Tom Clancy's No Remorse with Michael B. Okay. Jordan because, well, Michael mm-hmm. B. Jordan's in it. <laughs> um, and it go. was good. Uh, I mean, you know, uh, I enjoyed it, had a good time. It, a lot of action. It's not one of those, it's, it's a Tom Clancy book, so it's very military and fighting yes. soldiers. And I don't usually. Loving descriptions enjoy- of weaponry, you know what I mean? He yes. doesn't much detail about exactly yeah. what bore the rifle is. And- <laughs> right. It's, except for uh, Red October, I've not watched a lot of Tom Clancy. I read the book too, which is a great book. But uh, it was good. It was a good action one. And then we watched Knives Out. It's like we watched those back to back, and I thought Knives Out was great. Very cool. But call back a, mi- a second ago to something we were talking about earlier. <laughs> you said uh, you just watched a biopic. And that's funny because I always heard it biopic and Colin and I have gone back and forth with that word particularly because <laughs> he's like, no, it's biopic. I'm like, I swear to God, it's, I've always heard it biopic, but I've heard it both ways now. So that's another one of those words. Yeah. See, that's the, the reason that I would say it that way is because to me, it's a portmanteau word and it's of yeah. course biography and picture. picture. So I yeah. tend to not, transform the sound of them and in fact this is oh my god we're going to talk about the biggest controversy of all the computing you know it's pronounced gif it's graphic with a hard g it's not gif like as if it's giraffic and so and this is that i again you know how my mind makes connections i remember so the guy who created the format he says it's pronounced gif you're yeah. wrong, creator right. of the format. Yes. You can't just decide to make the English language different than how it works because well, you actually, like saying GIF like peanut butter. Works. <laughs> <laughs> to go back to how we started talking. All, all but my it's kids, GIF, gosh, darn it. All my kids <laughs> say GIF, GIF, GIF. And I yes. agree. Uh, and, but I will always throw back at them. But the guy who created it says GIF. So you're exactly. wrong. And it drives them crazy. I will purposefully say GIF just to drive them all crazy. It's like, come on, guys. I grew up with (laughs) GNU Linux, so I know how this works. (laughs) Right. You know, the first Dune movie, Frank Herbert was actually a consultant to it. One of the first times they actually brought the author on, not just saying, thanks for the book, go away. And they they have things in there where they pronounce the, the tribe Fremen. And it's like, no, it's Freeman. It's free men. Now, yeah. What are you doing? You must have heard it in your head like I did. No, apparently he didn't. He wouldn't and, let that go. He was the guy. It's so. funny you brought that up because I've been listening <laughs> to the audiobook of uh, Dune. Oh, man. And it's a lot. I mean, if you like the, the Ice and Fire from George Martin, if you like that stuff, okay. you'll probably yes. like Dune, even though it's sci-fi, not fantasy. You know, I'm realizing right. the connections there. And I... Hey, watch my glasses. Uh, I'm. I like uh, the the book. I remember. I thought it was okay. And listening to it yes, again, I've I'm read like, every one in the series. I really kept reading the even new after. Ones with his- exactly. I've, I've been seeking out because they are the ones that like. And we talked about this before when yeah. those uh, associates, the sons, you know, the the Brandon right. Sandersons, the Kevin J. Andersons, they know enough about and lovingly know about the series that they fill in here's where we first had space travel based on spice. Here's where we first had the zombie, you know, clony type. And I like them giving the backstory in a very convincing, fully fleshed out way. I think that's really a talent to be able to fill yeah. it in that it matches, but it really is good still and, on its own. And not, a good just be a, 
derivative uh, yeah, clunky. a cash-in. Exactly. Yeah, you know what I mean? The hack work, if you will. Yeah, so yeah. I really have read, like, I don't know, even when Dune, Dune Messiah, Children of Dune, those are what people often call the Dune trilogy. But then it went right. on with Chapter House and Heretics. And I was like, you know, there's still cool things here. I don't mind reading more about the sandworms. I don't mind reading, again, a generational saga where the, the Harkonnen and, you know, there's there's Right. Real hatred, real like I'm willing to span the stars to get back at you. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like right. that's real evil. The beast Raban. And yeah. anyway, <laughs> yeah, it, it, I can't wait for the new uh, movie to come out. I, I wish it was a series, but I'll, uh, yeah. I'll I'll be interested in it. Hey, uh, I, I wanted to make sure I hit on this um, for you. Here is the wonderful discovery of the week. You ready? Let's do it. Okay. Reese's peanut butter cups, no sugar. <laughs> the crack cocaine of but it's snack no and sugar. food. So no sugar. Diabetics For all of us, it. diabetics can have them without being okay. I gotta check. <laughs> yeah, and it, guess what? I everybody in the house says it tastes just like regular Reese's peanut butter cups, including Frankie, who this is like the only junk food candy he will eat, and he tasted it and said. Hey, this doesn't taste any different. So wow. there you go. Discovery of the week. You know, they also have Hershey's cool. no sugar. Interesting. So, so, you know, I love material science and chemistry and the fact that I'm not, I'm just totally speculating. So they found some kind of sugar that is a chimera. It's a transformed different version of that, that it tastes sweet, but it doesn't get uh, digested, so no calories. And right. so it's it's so cool that they can actually take something as basic as a sugar molecule and say, what are all the variations on this that we can do? You know, there's a whole web thing about protein folding, trying to get to how do we figure out diseases and stuff like that. But the fact that this chemistry thing said, we're not trying to cure cancer, we're trying to cure calories. <laughs> and yet, what an impact that's going to have on the world. Yeah. That and you hope that it's like, well, we thought it wasn't going to matter, but we found out that actually, if you have too many of these in your system, then they lock together like little puzzle pieces, <laughs> and now you've got a swollen colon. Now you're in trouble. <laughs> because, exactly. Here, here's, uh, okay, so I've actually <clears throat> looked this up a little bit. So my, okay. my first take is, I think a large part of what makes this taste like the regular one is not the flavor but the texture because the peanut butter texture is just the exact same. And it's a unique feel of the peanut butter that's in these. So I think, you know, it's the association your brain makes. It's like, Oh, I can feel a Reese's peanut butter cup. So that's what I taste. So absolutely. I think that's what it does. I love that food science itself is so much about that, that of course, it's not only sugar, fat, you know, salty, fat, uh, uh, bitter, et cetera, on your tongue, it's mouthfeel, it's umami, it's the, uh, how does it chew? Does it right. cling to your teeth the same way that licorice does or whatever else it might be? <laughs> and so the fact that they can get down to the molecular level and say, you know, the peanut butteriness of it, this is a 0.87, and we've got real close with a 0.85 that now most people cannot differentiate. I love that. I love that. And I have no problems with the science behind like Beyond Meat and other places where they're saying, even based on plants, if we make it so that instead of being meat fiber, that it's got the right 
mouthfeel, the right yeah. taste, the right gush when you bite it, and the, the resistance that when you bite through it, that the fiber has to be right. Because after you've had a thousand burgers, you'll know if it's not a burger. Right. You know what I mean? Right. <laughs> now, the problem they got to work on next is getting all the salt out of it. Because Gina, I don't know oh. if I brought said this, she just got yeah. detected with uh, a heart problem. And she's got congestive heart failure, and the left side of her heart is weak and not working completely properly because uh, oh, no. she'd been like getting dizzy at times, and we couldn't figure out why. And oh, that's no, it. Stephen. Okay. So she's she's fine. I mean, they're right. saying you, you're, it's not like you have a death sentence. You're going to die next. Right. But sodium doesn't help that. Then you and, really and have they to be worried about said, blood pressure. You'll kill yourself faster if you eat sodium. So suddenly she's a convert, which is. Funny story. When we got together, she thought it was weird when my mother would make things. She's like, "Why is she like rinsing the the tuna off? Why, you know, because of the salt?" She's like, "Well, that's stupid. That's weird." Now she's like, "Oh, now I get it. Let's do that." You know. But anyway, so a lot of these things uh, we get that are low in carbs, they compensate with lots of salt, and so we we. We found ketchup that has no salt. We found ketchup that has no sugar, but we can't find one that has no sugar. I said, well, that's probably because it's just a tomato mashed up at that point. <laughs> exactly. Um, but that's the next thing is, I mean, you know, we, we use Accent, which is no salt alternative, right. but it just doesn't taste quite right yet. You know, there's yeah. still and some. I think Accent is MSG, right? And so probably. you have to be careful about that because that's kind of a neuro activator. Yeah. And so then you're like, uh, so my younger brother actually has a sensitivity to aspartame and very certain things. And he's had to become very conscious of, of course, avoiding NutraSweet, aspartame, yeah. et cetera. But also when you see like on a bag of chips, if it says other spices, MSG is one of the things they often put in because it does indeed excite your mouth in the same way you were saying, if you can't do without sugar, put a little salt in there, it'll still give you a little mouth excitation. Well, in his case, blinding headache. And so- I luckily, so far as I know, don't have any food allergies, or at least I haven't up until now. Colleen has been having occasional things where like, wow, things I used to be able to eat, now they're giving her like a little stomach bloat. And why in the world? You know, I, mean, I know that you get that from cruciferous vegetables and something like that, but you sure shouldn't get that from eggs, as basic a thing as eggs. And yet people's body chemistry changes as they yeah. get older, their hormonal system changes, their biome changes. It's tricky business, man. <laughs> I've been finding out, and I know people don't want to hear about us talking about our digestive system. That's, you know, <laughs> exactly. not the best thing. But the, the whatever, oh, I'll tell you about that too. But whatever's in these is mm-hmm. not as um, detrimental to my digestiveness as like some of the Russell Stover candies. Because I've gotten Russell Stover candies, and I'm like, oh, man, something's not right. And gurgle, gurgle. And so right. I, I've, I've been paying attention to that. So the other thing I, I was looking up is I, I see, like, I don't drink a lot of pop. We drink a little bit. But you go, and Dr. Pepper I like, but they have Diet Dr. Pepper and no sugar Dr. Pepper. What's the difference? <laughs> I looked it up. So yes. Diet Dr. Pepper has like a sweetener, an artificial sweetener. I think they use stevia for the most part now. And I like stevia a lot better than aspartame and saccharin and all the other crap they've used. So I can take that. Zero sugar is the exact same thing. It's their diet, but it has a secondary uh, sugar-free alternative in it that sweetens it in a different way and makes it taste even closer to real sugar, so they say. So... All you're getting different is an extra chemical in the zero sugar. 
but it's it, that's why these taste just like the regular ones because it's zero sugar. They have two uh, separate al- competing almost, or you know, okay. that go together alternatives. Right. So. so a couple things about that. First is I know you, you might have read some of these. There's reviews of gummy bears where they use a particular um, sugar substitute that apparently if you binge gummy bears, these things will kill you. They will, and and of course not kill you. They'll have you give give you terrible diarrhea. And like the descriptions of what happens, the people are, they wax very poetic about, oh my God, (laughs) I had to run to the bathroom. And like, you know, so just that, I'm trying to think what it's not, you know, erythromycin because I know that's a drug, but it's something like starting with an E, um, air, it's an artificial sugar that starts uh, with an E, and apparently that's the culprit. And having said that, I when I first read about like uh, Coke Zero or Diet Coke, or now Diet Dr. Pepper Zero Sugar versus Diet Dr. Pepper, I really didn't do enough research about the difference in sugars, because what I thought it was is a marketing ploy. There's right. a certain percentage, big, of guys who won't drink diet anything because it's not macho. I'm not a no uh, homo. I don't want to drink a right. girl's drink. Right. How weird to have it be that the marketing has been so successful that you know diet Dr Pepper drinkers go to the racetrack and you know it, but and yet that's what I had read was that they came up with those alternatives like Pepsi free and the code words for it's it's a diet drink but you don't have to be seen as being a, a weenie for right. drinking it <laughs> and like. How weird. How weird that guys are that self-conscious well, about I've a, never felt bad about ordering diet anything. We, and yet I got, guess I don't care about the whole macho world, you know. We've got a whole <laughs> episode we could probably do on the psychology of marketing and exactly. the beliefs that people have that have changed over time, too. I mean, yeah, there's so yeah. many things. You know, you could talk about light beer, I'm sure was, you know, the biggest thing they had to do was not make it taste good. It was just to get people willing to order a light beer, a non-manly beer. You know what I mean? (laughs) And and, and that's funny you say that, too, because I I don't drink a lot of beer every now and then I'll have one. And I like Corona, but I like Corona light better than Corona extra. So, okay. you know, it's just exactly whatever the word is, the key word that it's like, you know, I I'm uh well, this is kind of this goes to the heart of it. People who are like Pepsi or Coke drinkers, and it's a religious decision. They really oh, yeah. do one and not the other. And honestly, they're both fine to me. So yeah. is RC. So is any other brown bubbly water. They're all fine to me, right. except so, the diet versus the regular. Now I really care about the diet because now when I have right. regular soda, it's like I'm drinking sugar. I'm drinking syrup. Yeah. You know what yeah. I mean? so. so tying this back to our earlier language discussion. That's what they haven't come to realize. Don't make Corona light. Figure out some Mexican word that they could put in there. So it's Corona Jajontes or something like that. I'll drink that. It's just Corona Olay. Exactly. Who cares what it's called? A rose by any other name. You know, know, that's what they need to do. Again, the marketing that you give it this cool sounding Spanish Mexican name and you do this marketing of these guys in trucks mudding it and shooting (laughs) feral pigs with, you know, slingshots and whatever else. And suddenly, (laughs) yeah, I want to be like that. That's how, that's how the Marlboro cigarettes went about. They use the cowboy for like two years or something. And the sales of Marlboro, did not change whatsoever. It was at one time Marlboro was considered a woman's cigarette. 
and it did took not know that. That's two hilarious. Years of marketing before guys to transform that yes. exactly, and now That's it's funny. one of the like biggest selling cigarettes in the world. <laughs> yeah, yeah. You know that it really those marketing meetings, those rooms full of those people where they're talking about, so are we going to go with Corona, something else, and extend the brand? Are we going to come up with a whole Azteca? We're going to come up with a whole new name for beer. And right. you know what I mean? All that thing of can we build a new brand? And and it must be intense, like crazy discussions because you know that they have marketing data that says, well, you got a 37% chance of establishing a new brand, but it's really a full market. So what you might want to do is, well, is there's no lime flavored beer. I mean, the proliferation, for instance, close to my heart, I run pretentious drinking every year. We try liqueurs and cordials more than a hundred at our wonderful Mensa Halloween party in Chicago. I've had any number of people suggest to me that we should get all different kinds of flavored whiskey, flavored vodka, flavored gin, uh, and, and flavored rum. And it's like, you know, that's not pretentious enough. It's not a pure thing, like where you've distilled, uh, you know, elderflowers down to their alcoholic essence. It's more, we took rum and we said, let's make it taste like cotton candy. Let's make it taste like shoe leather. What you know, And like some of them are, like I could see how cinnamon is a real common thing, whatever the taste combinations. And yet... I, I fireball whiskey is not pretentious. It's a stunt to me. And even if it tastes great, even if I know that it would pour through, that we, we everybody would like it and they'd get it. Certain things I've, I've allowed to sneak in because it comes in a cool skull shaped bottle. <laughs> right. And just to have it on the table, I want to have this particular flavored tequila or whatever else it might be, but I'm not switching over to things that aren't the essence of something Common that are instead drinking yeah it's like they got <laughs> they got a whole uh, a rack of different flavors you know how that is in a lab that they've got from a to yeah. z anise to you know zima and they're just going to say how does this taste how does this taste and i i just don't think that like de kuipers is one of those off brands of liqueurs that makes um i think they're really liqueurs but they're like pumpkin spice liqueur they're you know what i mean they're kind of like kid stuff it's kind of like boone's farm wines where it's like this one is cranberry apple wine really really well i so i'm, I'm kind of like i don't know i've been doing it for 25 years now i'm holding the line to a certain extent but the line is it's it, there's so much now marketing of those various different things that a lot of the suggestions that i'll get is can we try unicorn tears you know what i mean it's a gin that has glitter in it and like oh <laughs> don't make me don't don't make me do this you know if it's a so anyway that's you a little have riff a on. section that's celebrity alcohols because all these celebrities <laughs> keep coming out with alcohols now it's, you know that's really a good idea. I've, I've always had sections where I like, I make fun of, you know, here's the, there's different <laughs> nut flavors and uh, uh, these are the romance ones. You know what I mean? This is the sexy drink. This is the, right. and, and over here, all the flowers and the vegetables. It's kind of funny. Some of at, I hope you don't mind me talking about this. Cause, and, and honestly, this could be a whole segment. Cause I, like I said, I got 25 years. Um, often well, I'll try, I'll try new things every single year. We often have like a dozen to 20 new things as well as lots of the traditional stuff. And some things didn't finish pouring from last year. So they don't go bad. They're liqueurs. So they, they come back. Right. Um, I, people will often come up to the table and say, Hey, Al, how you doing? Give me one of your best and one of your worst. It's like, well, you know, best might be a matter of your taste, but I know what this year's worst is because <laughs> everybody that's tried this has like stopped the floor and screwed up their face. So we've had like a, a Kummel. It's a, uh, 
caraway seed liqueur that was just so incredibly bad. And yet we've also had people who love bitter, who love certain tastes. So Chicago is renowned for Jepson's Balort. It, it's it's really terrible, and it's a combination of terrible, and it actually comes with like a little booklet that hangs from the neck of the bottle that says, most people aren't manly enough to handle our assertive liqueur. You know what I mean? It really is meant to be the challenge of, oh, yeah, and you belly up to the bar. Well, we've got someone, Laura, that really loves the bitters, and so she's become kind of our mistress of Malort. She's the one, you know, like, is plying people with, if you want to try something you've never had before, here it is. And then when they try it, they're like, oh, oh my God, what did you do? <laughs> so I have a, I have that section now of the unicum and the, you know, this one tastes like snake. This one tastes like, you know, <laughs> essence of, we had one that was an artichoke liqueur. That, that um, it was like, I don't know, it really was as bad as you would imagine. We, we've, we, and so I, sometimes I think, that it isn't only a matter of trying new things. Jepson's Malort I have every year because I want people who have, it's kind of pseudo famous. They've read about how bad it is and they kind of want to see for themselves because taste really is an incredibly yeah. personal thing. Well, after they've tried it, then they get that little badge of honor that says, I managed to keep it down. I managed to not you know, spit it out on the floor. It was so well, terrible. I clenched my jaw. <laughs> that's great. Anyway. <laughs> should have badges. So, it's, like like I, at school. It's, it's, uh, I, I think that, you know, I've tried virtually everything that I've ever served. I, sometimes I didn't get to a bottle that turned out to be so popular that it was all gone before I got it, and then I got the next year. So I've tried, honestly, 300 going on 400 different liqueurs. It's a really interesting thing to be able to say because for most places, if you go to a bar, they've got half a dozen, 10 of those expensive bottles. And if you go around the country, there are certain things that are specific to certain cities and regions and stuff like that. But so I actually, you know, on my our wonderful vacations that Colleen and I take driving around, I will almost always say, well, as long as we're in North Dakota, I wonder if they have any liqueurs so, particular to North Dakota. And I brought back right. like a cloudberry liqueur and things anyway. <laughs> so what, you, what you're really doing is this is the state capital I drove drunk in. And this is the state capital. <laughs> no, I know you don't. You know, and it's funny. I, I boy, you know, confession time for all of my Mensa friends. I kind of can't believe that I'm associated with this event. I'm almost a teetotaler. I really think that alcohol is not a great thing for mentions who overdo it. If I'm trying to go to like a meeting with Smarties and they start tying it on Friday at three o'clock in the afternoon, by the time I'm playing a game with them at nine, 10 at night, they're not there. They're the shadow of themselves. That yeah. is them plus alcohol. And Luckily, happily, most Mensons seem to be kind of goofy, silly. They're not aggressive drunks. They might get a little slowed down or slurry, but they don't pass out. They don't vomit and stuff like that. Right. But they're still, if what I'm going for is like me and my smart friends having these wonderful conversations that you and I do, where every reference leads to another reference, that kind of stuff. <laughs> and then you see that they're giving you like the blank look because they've had one too many beers. Not oh, processing. Oh. Yeah. Yeah. So, so the fact that Gary Krivko and I started it because we, saw a, a slightly similar event in Milwaukee where they had like four bottles to sample, half a dozen maybe. And we were like, you know, Chicago could do this in a big way. We really could. And so we started and it just has grown ever since. And I actually like knowing a lot about it. And I guess I'm a binge drinker because 
that is the one time a year that I drink and I might have a shot for New Year's Eve. And so I guess that's also good in terms of for inventory control. When I used to hold on to them, now we keep them in Chicago, but I used to actually transport things back and forth. And it was safe in my house. I wasn't sneaking in to say, <laughs> I really like that 43, that Corante y Tres. I, everything just kind of sat. What I had to do to get ready to pour it was blow dust off the bottles. Right. You know, if I had them in the box or out on the piano bench, like that. so it's, it's very funny to be associated with something I belong to any number of like smart bar and various other mental groups that are all about the alcohols. And they talk about, Hey, I had a flight of beers here and I tried these new alcohols and I, and I take notes cause I want to be able to have them at pretentious drinking, but it doesn't inspire me to go to the bar and say, right. I want to try this new thing. I, I kind of, I don't drink. I, right. I like me this way. I exactly. don't ever see, I, you know I, what I mean? Yes. Yeah, I've, I've checked maybe, maybe three times in my life have I gotten so drunk that I don't remember all of it. That, you know, that's Boy, it. that's, that, I, all my drinking was pretty much college. And the first time that I ever aided by my friends, haha, got to where I woke up the next morning and I wasn't sure how I had gotten home, I didn't ever want to have that happen again. I didn't like right. the blackout. I didn't well, like the... You know, because a lot of times they'll say, boy, you sure were a blast last night. You were talking and goofing. It's like, who was talking? Right. You know what I mean? It wasn't me. I don't remember well, that. It was unconscious me. It was stupid me. One of my times was when I worked on the cruise ship. Yeah, it's never smart to get drunk when you're on a ship out in the middle of the ocean and wake up in your bunk and go, how'd I get here? How did I get here? Yeah, you were on autopilot enough, which is yeah. kind of amazing that they're really, like we are saying, about our little file clerks, there's also some guy that's going to say, I'll get you back. I'll get you to where you've, <laughs> you've, you know, you've peed and you've haven't vomited, Hopefully. but I'm going to make sure you're turned on your side so you don't bon scott yourself. You know what right, I mean? Right, <laughs> like, <yeah>. Wow. <laughs> okay. On that happy yeah. note. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> thank you for the, the wonderful find of, Sugar-free Reese's Butter Butter Cups, yep. and I will see what give I can do to try. find them and give them a try. Exactly. Yep. Okay. All right. So, as always, take care, Stephen. Have a okay. good one, man. Talk to you next week. You have been listening to the Relentless Geekery Podcast. Come back next week and join Alan and Stephen's conversation on geek topics of the week.